How are we all doing? Am I really loud? Well, hallelujah. Hello. I like the bassiness. Okay. How many of us are on holidays right now? <laughs> well, Jan's loving life. How many just finished holidays? How many go back tomorrow? <laughs> How many are thinking of every excuse under the sun not to go back? <laughs> All right. Um, can we please turn to Matthew 28? I want to look at the Great Commission for a second. So uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make... What? Hallelujah. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to ask a question, and like any non-rhetorical question, it commands a response. So, there is an onus on you to respond to my question, okay? And the answer may vary, but I want you all to respond at the same time. I don't want you to think about it, I just want you to respond to the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Are we ready? Will the real disciple please stand up? <laughs> I was asking for that one. Okay, no, no, keep standing. Some of you just thought that was a joke, and it kind of was, but it kind of wasn't as well. So, for some of you who are sitting down, maybe... You're not a disciple of Christ, that's okay, we welcome you here, you're, you're at home, we will make you welcome, we've even got free coffee as long as it's your first time, but if it's your second time, no, sorry, you've got to pay for it, it's like four bucks or something. <laughs> anyway, but if, it's, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's okay, we love you and we bless you and we'll have a chat with you afterwards. If you're sitting down because you just didn't feel like standing up, well, I'll, we'll talk afterwards. If you're standing up, you're standing up because you're either confused because other people stood up and you just decided to stand up, or you're standing up because you knew exactly what I was talking about, and I think that many of you who are sitting down should actually be standing up. You just thought I was joking. Will the real disciple please stand up? Okay, that is looking a little better. So for those of you who are standing, whether unwittingly or not, you have accepted a terms and conditions from the Lord. Salvation is free. I agree with that completely. I would never deny that. It doesn't cost anything to come into the kingdom, except that your old nature dies and that you take on the new nature. But that's not really a cost. How do you sacrifice into the kingdom of God when all you're receiving is blessing? 
For those of you who are standing, you should agree with me on a few things, I think. The world is dark and dying, isn't it? There's a lot of brokenness. There's families falling apart. There's uh, countries being torn apart by war. There's disease. There's famine. There's mass migration. There's all sorts of things going wrong. And for those of us who are called by Christ, we understand, in fact, you know what, for anybody, whether whether you're in the family of God or you're not, It's hard to go out there and save the world when you don't even know how to lead the the thoughts going in your head. When you don't even know how to have victory in your life, it can be hard to go out there and make a difference, can't it? That is so difficult. All right, you can sit down now. Stand up again. No, I'm kidding. You sit down. (laughs) No, I'll say Jamie says. I want to talk a little bit today about the differences between a convert and a disciple. Because Jesus didn't call us to make converts, did he? He called us to make... Yes. What did he call us to make? Hallelujah. Okay. So, let's turn to Luke chapter 17. And we'll read from verses 11 to 19. It's about how Jesus healed the ten lepers. So let's turn there. Luke chapter 17. Verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were cleansed, oh, sorry, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Mm. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The difference between a convert and a disciple is that a convert appreciates what Christ gives and a disciple appreciates who Christ is. Now don't get me wrong, as a disciple of Christ, we still appreciate what Christ gives us, don't we? It's hard not to. But... The convert, someone who just says, yes, I'm willing to be saved and then that's it. I'll go my own way. They want what God has to give them because they recognize that they're in need of a savior. But then they feel free to do their own thing. That's a sense of entitlement. Some people may not think that they have a sense of entitlement because in other things, they may not act like it. But when it comes to salvation, yep, I'll take this free gift and I'll just go my own way and I won't really be changed by it. That's pride. And pride sets itself up against God. Pride is everything that turns away from looking at its creator. A disciple appreciates who Christ is. The disciple mentality is one of gratitude, which comes from humility. 
And humility is selfless. And a selfless person is the kind of person that God can use to do something. So, we've gone through the difference between a convert and a disciple. Now I want to talk about the difference between two different kinds of disciples. There is a... There is an unwilling disciple and there's a willing disciple. I think sometimes in our lives we've felt like an unwilling disciple and other times we've felt like a willing disciple. A willing disciple is not someone who is willing to serve, but who is committed to personal development. They have a drive for character growth. An unwilling disciple does not want to change in him or herself, no matter how much they serve. These sorts of people are church workers. They're not kingdom growers. And ladies and gentlemen, this church, the other churches, this city does not need church workers. We need kingdom growers who would take the power of the Holy Spirit and bring it to the people and do something with it. There's something more than just charity. When you put the power of God behind a good deed, it will transform a life. It won't just provide for them. Are you with me? Okay. I'm going to be real for a second. My first three years of running youth group were the most difficult three years of my entire life. But it didn't have to be, did it? Who made it difficult? It was entirely me. I made it difficult for myself. It didn't have to be three years. It could have just been a couple of months that were really difficult. The problem was I didn't know how to sort out my problems. That was the real issue. I dragged it out and dragged it out and I was miserable and I would go home some days... I would go home at least a couple of times every week and just cry. That's actually what I did. I would cry because I felt so hopeless and miserable. But I kept on doing what I was doing because God called me to do it. And I'm a little bit stubborn like that. We should all be a little bit stubborn like that. I ran in circles of self-induced pain because I was thinking the wrong way. As humans, I think you'll agree with me, we tend to compartmentalize Christ's sovereignty in our lives. For example, let's say you're in a tricky situation with your finances. You've got some bills that you really need to pay and they're being close to overdue and you just don't have enough money. The only thing you can... you've tried everything and all you can do left is trust God. All all you can do left is pray. And so, okay, God, I'm making you the God of my finances right now. Um, I I need a miracle. What do you want me to do? I'm completely open because I've tried everything in my strength. Uh, I've tried everything according to my logic. I I need you to do something. What do you need me to do? I'll do it and you just got to come through and bring a miracle. But the, so we've made God the God of our finances, but he, he's not the God of our relationships. He might not be the God of, of the way we look at people. 
He might not be the God of, um, of what's happening in my workplace or, or, or how I commit my time. Maybe I have a, a sickness in my body and I'm not trusting that God has healed me. So we, we, we put God's sovereignty in different parts of our lives, but we maintain control of other areas. And it starts to get really tricky and really silly when we make God the God of this bill, but not that bill, or this income, but not that income, or how I see this person, but not this person. Then it starts to get really messy. Whatever area of our lives we put ourselves aside and choose to trust God in, we will experience freedom in that area. Granted. And, you know, that, that, that is a good thing. And it's, it's difficult as a human, you know, not to just sort of make God the God of everything because we're finite human beings and we tend to only think of one thing at a time, don't we? I, I'm not dissing that. That's, that's just a fact of life. It happens. And, and then we have many other areas to work on. But the, the, the real thing is, if Jesus is the Lord of my life, then he should be the Lord of everything in my life. And part of the reason I'm compartmentalizing, I'm just going to say segregating, <laughs> the, the reason we segregate God's sovereignty into, into different areas or we section it off is because we don't really have an attitude of thanking Jesus. We have an attitude of control. And we're only turning to Jesus when we realize that our control has reached its limits. We've got to do away with that from the start. Then Jesus really can become the God of everything in our life. And because we're thanking Jesus all the time, it doesn't matter if we're going over our friend's place. We're going to see them the way we see Christ. It doesn't matter if we're handling our finances. We're going to do it with the eyes of Christ. It doesn't matter if I'm praying about a sickness or something like that. I'm not going to say, please, God, take it away from me. I'm going to declare that I am healed in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter how many things I have or if I don't have very much, you know, possession-wise, I'm content in all circumstances in Christ Jesus. God should be the God of everything in my life all at the same time. It's actually not that hard to develop that as long as it comes from one thing, and I'll get to that in a moment. So how much sovereignty are we going to allow Jesus in our lives? Because I'm... I don't know about you, but I got tired of running around in circles. I got tired of running around in pointless little circles where I would cause myself and other people pain. I got so tired of it. Will the God of this area in your life be the God of that area? Will he be the God of everything in your life? Will he just be the God of your entire life instead of your savior and someone who you call upon when you're in a time of need? In Luke 17, the leper returning to Jesus teaches us the foundation for our everyday conduct as Christians. He came back praising and giving thanks to God. Thankfulness, here's the thing, and this is what we've got to realize about thankfulness. Thankfulness is not dependent on good things happening to me. We tend to think it is, because when good, thi- when good things happen, oh, I, I feel really good now. But that's not godly thankfulness. 
Godly thankfulness comes from the knowledge that Jesus Christ saved me and paid for my life with his very blood and that he lives in me by the power of the Holy Spirit and that I am his friend and a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Thankfulness should flow out of that and that's where power, victory and real fruitfulness come from. Circumstantial thankfulness is not real thankfulness, that's selfishness. Can we please go to Ephesians chapter 4? Verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're not called to save the world. Did I just blaspheme? Quite. I took my notes. <laughs> We're not called to save the world. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, didn't he? We are called to become like Christ. And then the natural outworking of that is that Christ would increasingly be displayed to this world through relationship, through good works, through love. That would bring salvation, but not just salvation, it would bring disciples. They would be taught to observe everything that God has commanded us. What are you hoping for this year? It's got to be bigger than yourself. If you think that it's something that's relatively easy to achieve, then then I'm sorry, you're not acting in faith. You're acting according to your own reason. Again, we're going back to control. It has to make you uncomfortable. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable, there's a problem. I'm going to give you one of my goals for this year. And I'm going to be real again. For, I only just shared this the other day. For five years, I have not really operated in my gift. When I took over the youth, I sort of, I see that I've got a bunch of young people that I should be taking care of now. So I became the pastor. And I learned a lot of good things in that. And, you know, I did develop a bit of a pastor's heart and and that's fantastic. But I'm not naturally a pastor. I like preach the gospel. I like to evangelize to people. I like to encourage other people to evangelize to people. 
When I see someone lead someone to the Lord, I start dancing and I've got a big stupid grin on my face. Some of you have seen this happen. So for five years, I've been trying to pass the kids. And because I haven't been operating in my function, I haven't been enjoying this ministry to the extent that I should have been. Because I'm not enjoying it the way I should be, I haven't been fruitful in it. I've been faithful, but not fruitful. There's a difference. So guess what's going to happen this year? I'm going to be really pushing the evangelism this year. I'm really going to be pushing preaching the gospel in your schools. I'm going to be teaching kids how to do it. Guess what? For the last few years, and this is still fantastic, Young people in the youth group would bring their friends to youth and they would come and get saved. Woo! Yeah! In fact, you know what? I'll go through some statistics this, or just some, just some numbers because I just want to praise God for a moment. This year, in the last year at youth, we've had 11 salvations, 9 rededications, 2 baptisms, and I actually can't remember how many Holy Spirit baptisms. That's reason to praise God, isn't it? Let's give the Lord a round of applause. But see something, it's not enough that young people would just come to youth to be saved. Because I'll see some of them again and some of them I won't see again. That's not good enough for me. I wasn't called to make converts. I was called to make disciples. I was called to make disciples not just out of the new people, but out of the ones I've already got. So guess what? This year, my young people, my sons and daughters, and I call them my sons and daughters because that's what I think they are. They're going to be preaching the gospel in their schools and they're not going to lead... They're not going to need me or one of the other leaders to lead their friends to the Lord. They're going to do it themselves because their friends aren't just going to be invited to something nice and fun. They're going to see the power of the gospel in their friends' lives. That's one of my goals for this year. But here's the catch. If God is not fruitful in my life, he won't be fruitful in my ministry. Will he? Some of you have heard this before. We cannot lead someone where we have not gone. That's one of those big sort of cliche leadership sayings, but it always rings true. And if I expect my kids to evangelize in these schools, then I have to be the one growing in it the most. I can't just tell them what to do and expect them to go and do it because if I'm growing them, I have to be staying at least a few steps ahead of them the entire time. That means I cannot stay still. I have to keep changing. I have to keep challenging myself and making myself uncomfortable. And the moment I am comfortable, something's wrong. Maybe you don't think you need to grow anymore. I mean, maybe you're growing from daily devotions, but not in a way that challenges you. If that's the case, you probably feel a little dry. Maybe you feel a bit burnt out. Maybe you think you're done. That one's a life straight from the devil. Maybe you think you're a failure. Maybe you think you can't get anything right. (laughs) 
Maybe you can't kick habitual sin. Maybe you want to be used by God, but you just keep doing things wrong and then you keep shutting yourself down. Oh Lord, I've messed up, I've made a mistake. And you keep saying sorry. Maybe you don't think you have anything to offer at all. What good am I? What use do I have? I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at speaking. I'm not good at sport. I'm not, you know, kicking goals at work. I just feel hopeless in general. And here's something. If people at work know you're a Christian because you told them once, or they've heard that you go to church or something like that, but they don't see God's power in your life, they don't see something happening in you, they don't see some life in you that they don't have, there's a problem. Sometimes it happens. Maybe we started off a really fiery disciple and we sort of, I don't know, lost our edge somewhere along the way. It can happen sometimes. It's happened to me before. If that's the case, then there's something in our thinking that is wrong. We might not know what it is. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But we can at least ask God the question, what do I need to do to change my thinking? Can you please reveal it to me, Lord? And that might sound like a little bit of a far-fetched thing, but I'm serious. If that's you, or if there's something in your life that feels a bit stale, or if there's something in your life that you feel is wrong and you can't even put your finger on it, go home today, get a notepad and a pen and trust that God is actually going to speak to you and say, what do I need to change about my thinking? And don't think about it very hard because if you're thinking about it too hard, you need to change that and simplify things. Write down the first thing that comes to your mind and go, hmm, you know, like those dogs do when they're, hmm, do that and look at it and go, what about that, Lord? Ask God about that and then he'll probably show you something else and then he'll probably show you something else and before you know it you're figuring out what's wrong you go oh okay what do you want me to do about this how do I trust you Lord it's easy to say that but it can be so difficult to do come on it's it's actually really simple just pray and if if it helps you just sit there with a pen and a notebook trust that God can speak to you So what are you hoping for? Whatever you are hoping for, it starts with having the heart of a disciple. Not a convert. Not someone who's burnt out. Not someone who thinks, well, I've done all my years of ministry, I'll let the young kids take care of it. It starts with a commitment to personal growth and that begins with a laying down of ourselves and putting our trust in God in all areas of our lives. If I want to be thankful for everything that I walk into, I've got to be thankful that Jesus Christ died for me and he lives in me. And it doesn't matter if I'm on the mountain or if I'm in the valley or I feel like I'm being taken down a river and I'm at the bottom with a millstone around my neck, I'm going to be thankful that Jesus Christ lives in me. It doesn't matter if my family's falling apart or everything's going wrong at work and I just got fired or my finances are out of control or I'm going overseas and something's really scary or or whatever. It doesn't matter. 
if you are thankful that Jesus Christ lives in you, God is going to be the God of everything in your life. And you're going to experience victory, I guarantee it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you know all things and we don't. We're so sorry for our control. We're so sorry for our pride. We're so sorry for putting ourselves before you. Jesus, you died for us. You died for me. Every single person here. Lord, you live in us. You are sovereign over everything under the earth, on the earth, and above the earth. And you live in us. You're our best friend. So challenge us. What about my thinking needs to change? I don't care, Lord, how much I have it together. What about my thinking needs to change? My wisdom, my knowledge is nothing compared to you. Lord, the moment I think I've got it together, please humble me. I cannot maintain control. I want you to be the Lord of everything in my life. Lord, I want the real disciple in me to stand up every single day. I want to move in faith, Lord God. I don't want to, I don't want to be a church worker. I want to be someone who expands your kingdom by faith. Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Any works that are good that I do of you, sorry, Lord, that I do independent of you, I just, I want you to come into it. I don't want to be the driving force. I want you to be the driving force in me, Lord. I want you to bring transformative power into my life that other people would see and be mesmerized by and that they would draw near and that I would be able to speak into their lives the people that are close to my heart that I've wanted to preach the gospel to for years, but I've been too afraid to. Would you draw them near to me while you're transforming me? Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you for increase. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of our lives, whether we are 8 or 80. If we have the breath of life in us, you still have something for us to do. And you still have something of yourself to reveal to us. Keep transforming us. Keep humbling us. Help us to change this world, Father, not as a first motivation, but resultant from knowing you. We love you, Lord. Show us how much you love us. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your Sunday.